So today we're switching things up a little bit. We're doing service a little differently. Luke was preaching in the traditional service and I'm here. So if you came to see Luke, I'm sorry, uh, you missed him. <laughs> for those of you who are joining us for the first time this week, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Move. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the biblical books, book of Acts, seeing how God moved in the first church and learning about how God can move through our church and in our lives as well. Today, we're going to take a look at Acts 16, beginning in verse 6. A little bit of background, Paul is on his second of four missionary journeys. He's traveling with a group, and that included a young man named Silas, who was Paul's apprentice, and also Luke, the man who wrote Acts. So Acts 16, 6, let's begin. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's a lot of names there, a lot of old, obscure cities. So I've got a map of Paul's second missionary journey up here on the screen. Paul started in modern-day Turkey, and then he made his way to Greece, to Macedonia, modern-day Greece. Um, and that's circled up there on the map. So Paul, after receiving this vision, he and his team travel to Macedonia, and they make it to a city called Philippi. Here's what happens next. Acts 16, 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. I love that part of the story, and that's because I'm a missions guy. Paul wanted to plant churches in Asia and Bithynia. He wanted to stay in Turkey. That was a good thing. That was a godly thing. Obviously, he just wanted to plant more churches. But at that specific time, it wasn't God's plan. So Paul followed God's plan when he made his way to Macedonia, and God blessed that. And he was able to plant the first church in Europe in Lydia's house. I don't know if you like history. I like history. And that's a big deal. Europe was the epicenter of the Christian faith for over 1,500 years. And all of that started in Philippi, in Lydia's house, because Paul was obedient to God's calling on his life. Let's continue reading, Acts 16, 16. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. It's okay to get annoyed sometimes. Even the Apostle Paul got annoyed. And he was annoyed because he did not 
want this girl to be attached to his message. That was not good press for this demon-possessed fortune teller to be the one telling everybody, hey, this is the way to be saved. So Paul gets annoyed. He casts the demon out of this girl. But that was honestly a really good thing. This girl was enslaved. She was enslaved to her earthly masters, but she was also enslaved to this demon. Her life, her body, her mind, they weren't hers. And Paul freed her of that. Unfortunately, not everybody was happy about it. Here's what happens next, Acts 16, 19. When her owners realized their hope of money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. This slave girl's owners did not care about her. They could have cared less. They only cared about their money. And they were upset because Paul had disrupted their revenue stream. Without this demon, this girl couldn't make them any more money. So they complained to the authorities, and from there, things escalated quickly. Let's read what happens next. Acts 16, 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. You would not have wanted to spend the night in the inner cell of a Roman prison. That's because the inner cell was the most secure, so it was reserved for the most dangerous criminals. Who knows who Paul and Silas would have been in there with? There could have been some murderer giving them the evil eye from across the room. The Bible tells us that they were put in stocks and those were these big wooden bars around their feet that kept them fastened to the floor. Their feet would have been stretched as far apart as possible in these stocks. So their hips, their legs, they would have been throbbing from being stretched. Even worse, Roman prisons really weren't that clean of a place. There weren't any toilets. Animals like rats would have been running around. If you had to go to the bathroom, you just went, there wasn't really another option because you were in the stocks. So Paul and Silas, they were strapped to the floor. They were bleeding. They had open wounds because of their beating and they were laying in who knows what. Have you ever wondered why bad things happen to good people? I hope it's not weird for me to say because I'm a pastor, but I have. Paul was one of the good guys. If you look at the New Testament, he was one of the best of the best. He had turned his life around. He had planted churches. He had followed God's call to Macedonia. He just cast a demon out of this young girl, and maybe saved her life. But this still happened. Paul could have been angry with God. I think that some of us may feel like he would have been justified in that. He could have asked God, why did you send me to Macedonia? Why am I in prison? God, why didn't you rescue me? I was just doing what you asked me to do. But that's not what Paul did. Acts 16, 25 tells us what he did. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas turned to God in the midst of their darkest moment. The vast majority of us are gonna have a midnight experience just like Paul and Silas. Some of you may be facing that right now. I don't know. 
And because of those midnight experiences, I think that church can some be, sometimes be kind of an ironic place. Everybody comes on Sunday morning, they look nice, they're wearing their best clothes. If somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, oh, I'm fine. But the truth is a lot of us who walk through the doors here on a Sunday morning are not fine. You've probably felt that way before. So we're gonna do a little group activity. I'm gonna ask you to have the courage to share some of the things you've gone through with the rest of the room, if you're comfortable with that. I just want us to be able to see some of the things that we've all gone through. I want you to learn more about the people you're sitting next to. That's because we're in this together. We're not alone. So I'm gonna ask some questions. And if each of these questions applies to you, just raise your hand. So raise your hand if you've experienced the grief of of the death of a family member or close friend. Raise your hand if you've experienced the pain of a divorce in your family or that of a close friend. Raise your hand if you or someone you love has battled cancer. Raise your hand if you or someone you're close to has battled addiction. Raise your hand if you or one of your family members has suffered from mental illness. Raise your hand if you've gone through a difficult time of caring through an aging parent or grandparent. Raise your hand if you've faced financial stress. Obviously, that's not a complete list of all the things that we face in our lives. But I think it's easy to see that there's a lot of hurt in this room. A lot of us have dealt with some hard stuff. We're dealing with hard stuff right now. I just want to say thanks for your honesty. And remember, we are in this together. That's what the church is for. So that leaves the question, what do we do when we face our midnight experience? I'm going to be honest with you. I want to be totally transparent. I don't think I've ever personally faced a midnight experience. I could have raised my hand for a lot of the questions that were just asked, but I've dealt with all of those things through friends and family members. Through, you know, those friends and family members, I do feel like I've learned something. I've tried to listen to them. And what I've learned is that faith makes a difference. When we are going through our midnight experience, faith makes a difference. Doctors will bring us bad news. Institutions may not live up to their promises. Friends may turn their backs on us, but God is always faithful. So here's one thing that I think it's important to remember when we go through our midnight experience. God is not the cause of your pain, but he is the solution. God is not the cause of your pain, but he is the solution. There was once a man named Horatio Spafford. That's not the name I would have given my kid, but that was his name. (laughs) He was a wealthy lawyer. He was really successful. But the truth is, he had a pretty hard life. His only son died at the age of four, and Horatio Spafford lost a lot of his investments in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. So in 1873, he decided to take his family to Europe, wanted to get a fresh start. So he sent his wife and his four daughters across the Atlantic Ocean on a ship. His plan was to join them several weeks later after he concluded some business in Chicago. Well, tragedy struck as the Spafford family sailed across the Atlantic. Another ship rammed their ship. It was an accident, but it caused that ship to sink to the bottom of the ocean. Spafford's wife was rescued, 
but his four daughters drowned. The wife eventually made her way to Europe, and as soon as she got there, she sent a message to Horatio Spafford. He left Chicago immediately, he departed for Europe, and he took a boat. And that boat actually followed the exact same path that his family had taken across the Atlantic. He eventually came to the exact spot where his four daughters had drowned, and he was overcome with grief. That was his midnight experience. And do you know what he did? He wrote a hymn. He wrote a worship song. If you've been around church for a while, you'll probably recognize it. It goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Today, we're going to follow in the example of Paul and Silas. God is not the cause of your pain, but he is the solution. So we're going to turn to him today and worship. Let's sing together. So what would you say to someone else within a season of adversity? Hold on just a little bit longer. I grew up in a loving home um, with a firm foundation in faith. It was encouraged, as accepted. Um, parents were very loving. I went to college to uh, pursue a mechanical and electrical engineering. I wanted to double major, but uh, after two years, I failed out of uh, college and pursued a community college. And within one semester, I failed out of there as well. At the time, I was pursuing parties. I was pursuing socializing, drinking, and just getting high. I wanted to do that more than I wanted to study. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. I just felt more and more empty. And so to kind of escape that, I would pursue the drugs and just numb myself. By the end of 2009, I had arrest records in multiple states, uh, twice for driving under the influence, um, probation, suspended license. I was working week to week just to make a paycheck so I could go get drunk at the bar or go find some pills to take, uh, just to get numb again. Just wanted to get high, just wanted to get drunk, wanted to disappear. Angela, yeah, we met in 2011. God definitely had a purpose bringing us together. Even with the, the, the mask that I was wearing, the, the facade that I put up, um, she was able to see through it and see some little glimmer of hope within me, a reason to stick with me. Later that year after we met, she literally uh, witnessed my final arrest. Uh, I got pulled over for a seatbelt violation, um, and then the officer ran my name and came back and said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to arrest you. You are driving on a suspended license as a habitual traffic violator. But I spent... Uh, about eight hours in that jail cell. Uh, I had plenty of time to kind of reflect and kind of figure out, you know, why, how did I get to this point? A lot of guilt, a lot of shame. Everything was now out and exposed. I couldn't hide behind a mask anymore. I couldn't hide behind this, this image that I had put up. 2012 was a year that will forever be engraved in my memory. July 30th, we had our wedding. Each said I do. Had a nice, beautiful little ceremony. 
After my conviction in March, uh, my license had been suspended, and so if it wasn't raining out, I was riding my bicycle. It quickly, that riding of the bicycle wasn't just a mode of transportation. It switched from that mode of transportation to, to a passion, something that I really loved doing. That, that riding, that, that, that cycling was a freedom for me. And just that was my time to talk to God and, and really kind of lay out the turmoil that I was having inside. I was just kind of throwing up prayers and kind of hoping that maybe I'd get some answers. On October 15th, 2012, the morning started out just like any other morning. Took off riding into work and was hit head on by a truck. Sustained injuries to my left shoulder and left leg, um, and it resulted in the amputation of my left foot. Over the next 18 months, I would endure 15 surgeries overall. During that time, I was very angry. Um, I was angry at myself. Uh, I was angry at those around me. Uh, ultimately, I was angry at God. I didn't. I couldn't understand why. Why I was in this mess. A lot of that time, um, I was also dealing with depression. Literally, I would sit in front of the bottle and think, "Is today going to be the day? Am I just going to end it today?" I thought of suicide. Hated the way life was, and I couldn't find an answer as to why. I remember I was sitting on my kitchen table, staring at my Bible, starting a cup of coffee. I was just feeling really depressed, really sorry for myself. And I just cried out and I said, why, why God, why are we doing this? What do you have for me? Why, why did you save me? And it was just like something clicked. I was like, I'm here for a reason. God saved me for a reason. I pursued my life. I pursued my desires for so long. I said, God, you have control. I can't do this on my own anymore. God opened my eyes to who he really was. The love that he had for me when, when I was in my darkest, dirtiest hours, my mess that I was in, he still loved me. To look back, uh, the accident, October 15th, that was probably the best day of my life. And God allowed that to happen for a reason. And I'm still reaping the benefits no matter what aspect where you're at in life, there's still hope on the other side. New purpose. New life. Let me tell you what happens to Paul and Silas next. I promise this is the good part of the story. So let's continue, Acts 16, 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. God answered Paul and Silas' prayers with an earthquake. We get earthquakes every once in a while around here. The last time there was an earthquake, I remember waking up, my bed was shaking just a little bit. And I was like, well, that was weird. And I went back to sleep. I didn't find out until later that day that we'd had an earthquake. So for us, earthquakes aren't that big of a deal. But if you've lived somewhere else, maybe a place like California where earthquakes are uh, more of a regular occurrence, you, you realize that they can be a pretty big deal. And that's what would have happened in Philippi. Everybody there would have known 
that there was an earthquake. Everybody would have been woken up. This earthquake was so powerful that it literally shook doors open and broke chains. So Acts 16, 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Roman jailers had a pretty tough job. They would receive the punishment of their prisoners if they allowed any of them to escape. So if they had a prisoner that was sentenced to crucifixion, they would be crucified if that prisoner escaped. This jailer had lost hope. He thought that suicide was a better option than whatever punishment he was going to have to endure. Acts 16, 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. I probably would have tried to escape if I was Paul or Silas. I feel like that's a natural thing. I would have taken my chances. I would have run for my life. And that's because Paul and Silas really put it all on the line when they chose to stay. They could have been recaptured. They could have been moved to another location. The beatings could have continued. They would have just had to wait for whatever punishment they were going to receive. But I think they chose to stay because they knew that God was in control. Acts 16, 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Paul and Silas chose not to run away. They chose to stay in that hard situation. And because of that, they were given the opportunity to plant the second church in Europe in the home of this jailer. This jailer then cared for them. He treated their wounds. He gave them a hot meal. That's all because of the joy he had found. He was just so happy. Paul and Silas saved him from literal death, but they also saved him spiritually by introducing him to Jesus. The next day, Paul and Silas were escorted out of the city. Let's finish the story, Acts 16, 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. One of the things I like to do when I read the Bible is try to imagine the personality of the character that I'm reading about. And when I read about Paul, I think he was probably a pretty stubborn dude. He was not the kind of guy that you would want to get in an argument with. So he told the officials that he and Silas were Roman citizens. And that was a big deal. Those officials made a big mistake. Roman citizens had rights. And some of their rights were they couldn't be beaten or imprisoned without a trial first. So those magistrates seriously messed up. 
Paul and Silas could have complained to Rome and that could have gotten them in trouble, maybe even the whole city of Philippi in trouble. So they rolled the red carpet out for them. They came, they escorted them out of the prison and they just said, please leave the city. I think they were just done with all of their trouble. And I love it how Paul and Silas, they didn't just leave the city. They went to Lydia's house. They hung out for a while. They encouraged the believers and then they left when they were ready to leave. Paul was a stubborn dude. We've covered a lot of ground today. This story is a lot longer than a lot of the stories we normally cover on a Sunday morning. So there's a lot of things that we can learn. I wanna focus on just a few things. The title of this sermon is From Adversity to Opportunity, and that's because we believe that God sees our adversity as opportunities. He turns our messes into his message. So I wanna say one quick thing before we unpack that. We live in a blessed country and for the most part, a pretty privileged community. That's not everybody's experience, but that's a lot of people's experience around here. And because of our privilege, I think it's important to talk about what suffering really is. I'm ashamed to say it, but this has been a hard story for me to wrestle with. It's convicted me. I think it's pointed out some of my flaws. And it's really confronted my selfishness. Just honestly, I was angry a couple times this week you want to know why? It's because my wife and I are doing a cleanse. That's a true story. Um, <laughs> I was a little sick this week. I don't do well when I'm sick. And I was hungry. And I'm, I just get mad when I'm hungry. I don't like to be hungry, if you can't tell. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I just attempted the cleanse. Let's really be honest. So, <laughs> studying Paul and Silas just really put me in my place. They were beaten, they were imprisoned, but they responded with prayer and singing. And sometimes I get mad when I don't get to eat beef. So yeah, we'll just leave it at that. When we talk about adversity, we're not talking about going to the gym and saying no pain, no gain. What we're talking about is serious, mental, physical, emotional suffering. We're talking about people who are worshiping God and serving him because they see the big picture of his kingdom in spite of whatever they're going through. So sometimes I just think we need to be honest about what suffering really is. So we know that God sees our adversity as opportunity for his kingdom. What do we do with that? When we go through our midnight experience, what do we do? Two things. This story teaches us that God has the power to rescue us. So if God rescues you, tell your story. If God rescues you, tell your story. Tell people about what God has done for you. Share your testimony. Give God the credit for rescuing you. That's why I loved that we got to share Uriah's story today. He's a member of our church. He was here last hour in this service. He got to share his story. And I think that made an impact on our lives. And I know there's a lot of you who if you shared your story, there would be a similar response. Someday you may run into somebody like the Philippian jailer who's gonna hear your story and ask, what must I do to be saved? So share your story. This story also teaches us that God will not always rescue us when we think it's best. Paul and Silas were arrested, they were stripped, they were beaten, they were thrown in prison. Why didn't God intervene when all of that was happening? That would have been nice. This is a really hard truth for us to wrestle with. I think there's an answer, 
But this is a hard truth for us to wrestle with, especially when we are in desperate need of rescue. So my encouragement to you, if you're waiting on God to rescue you, live in a way that causes people to ask questions. If you're waiting on God to rescue you, live in a way that causes people to ask questions. What kind of sounds do you think you would have heard at midnight in the inner cell of a Roman prison? Screams? Yeah, probably. Groans of pain? Yeah. Profanity? Probably. I would have expected to hear all of that. But what I would have not expected to hear were prayers and songs of worship. I'm sure the jailer and the other prisoners didn't expect to hear that either. They might have responded in one of two ways. There was one group that was probably like, hey man, I'm trying to sleep, stop doing that, you're crazy. But my guess is there are some other people who are sitting there listening saying, why do these guys believe what they believe? Who is the God that they are worshiping? I'm sure that some of the people in that prison, in that inner cell, were going through their midnight experience too, and they were surprised by the faith of Paul and Silas. And then it all made sense when God rescued them. I know that some of you are living your lives in a way that causes people to ask questions. I just wanna say thanks for that. We shared your Uriah's story today. That was awesome. But I know there's other people in this room that we could have shared stories about. I know that there are others of you who have told your story. God has rescued you. I've been encouraged by your story. Others have been encouraged by their, your story. So if you're waiting on God to rescue you, live in a way that causes people to ask questions. If God rescues you, tell your story. And I wanna take a line from the video. If you're not sure what to do, if you're going through your midnight experience, if you're struggling, remember what Uriah said, just hold on a little longer. God has the power to rescue you. Right now, we're gonna get ready to take communion. This is a time to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And I think that this has a special connection to the message today. And that's because Jesus' greatest adversity became his greatest opportunity on the cross. Jesus had a pretty rough life. A lot of times we think of Jesus, he was this good guy, he was awesome. But the truth be told, he had a pretty rough life. Just read the gospels and you'll find that out. Jesus was betrayed by one of his best friends. He was arrested. He was illegally prosecuted by a corrupt government. He was beaten, he was insulted, and he was finally crucified. And all of that happened just in the last week of his life. That wasn't all of the story. But Jesus' adversity became his greatest opportunity because he defeated sin and death through his resurrection. Because of that, we know that we can have a better life, both now and in eternity. So let's remember the pain that Christ had to endure as we take communion today. But let's also remember that he gives us the strength to endure that pain. If you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the same power that sustained Jesus through his darkest moment can sustain you too. Ponder that today as we take communion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so thankful for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. I'm thankful for your example, the example of Paul and Silas and so many other people in the Bible who were persecuted, who were 
faced great pain. Um, but Lord, you use that as an opportunity to grow them, to grow their kingdom, to make the world a better place. Jesus, I pray that as we take communion today, that we will just be reminded the sacrifice you've made, but Lord, also that with you, we can get through any struggle. Jesus, thank you so much.